Hello everyone, I'm Paris Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership with Tom Fox, hosted by Richard Lummis. Today we take up leadership lessons from the movie Schindler's List. Hello, this is Richard Lummis, and I'm here with Tom Fox for another episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast about leadership. In these discussions, we draw what we hope are interesting lessons from our own experiences, history, business, literature, and politics to examine what constitutes good leadership and extract lessons we can use to improve our own leadership skills. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, Richard. Uh, We're recording this in February, so in keeping with our tradition, uh, we've picked some best picture-winning films with leadership as a key theme to discuss. Today we're going to discuss Schindler's List from 1993 with um, Ben Kingsley, Rafe Fiennes, and Liam Neeson. Um, It was directed and co-produced by Steven Spielberg. It's highly critically acclaimed for its very interesting treatment of very difficult historical uh, events. Tom, where would you like to start? Well, uh, really lot, a lot here, Richard. Um, the kind of even leading up to how the movie was actually made uh, as a story in and of itself, um, there was, uh, and, and a name I know you'll sound find familiar, uh, a book by Thomas Keneally about Schindler's List. Uh, was the uh, inspiration which led to the basis of the movie. Also, uh, a term I was not familiar with before I started studying for this podcast, of Schindler-Juden, which is Jews or their descendants who were are alive today because of uh, Oscar Schindler, and that there are more uh, Schindler-Juden living today than there are Jews in Poland. So there's 6,000 Schindler Juden and 4,000 Polish Jews in Poland today. Um, and then the personal struggles. By, yeah, I thought that was particularly appalling. There was um, the, the personal struggle of Steven Spielberg uh, to make this movie because he'd been offered this movie or other uh, similar or Holocaust movies, and he didn't feel he was up to it, not because he didn't think he was a great director or at least a competent director because by that time he'd had multiple international successes, but he didn't feel he had the gravitas to do it. And he finally decided that that he needed to do that for his own personal reasons. And uh, the, the way he shot the film, black and white, any of the um, choices of camera angles uh, and filming uh, added to, certainly for me, the discomfort in many ways of having to rewatch this. But... Uh, that whole process leading up to the filming of the movie uh, was is equally interesting. And the, the Schindler-Juden themselves were the ones who wanted to carry the flame of Oscar Schindler and really did so uh, into the 60s. Uh, certainly he was not well-known in America, I don't think. And even though the, uh, the book by Thomas Keneally, an Australian, and... Um, that they wanted to keep his name alive because of what he had done. And so the yeoman's job of keeping that memory alive was from the Schindler-Juden who brought it forward. So a lot going on just to, to get to uh, where the movie was made, but maybe you could give us a little, little synopsis of this and then you can hopefully comment on it a little bit. For a refresher course, since I'm sure most of you have seen this, um, Oscar Schindler was a 
repeated failure at multiple businesses. He, uh, he actually had been a spy for the Abwehr, the uh, German Army Intelligence, um, for a couple of years preceding the events of the movie. And he joined the Nazi party, I think, in 1939. So pretty late at that. But uh, anyway, he eventually finds success by taking advantage of the increasing isolation of Jews um, to get funding from them to set up a metalwork factory ostensibly to provide uh, goods under contracts with the German army. Um, initially, at the instigation of his accountant, who was a Jew, um, they issued fake papers to hire Jews as essential workers because at this point the Nazis were discriminating between non-essential workers who would be sent to the camps and essential workers who would be allowed to live in the ghettos for a while longer. Uh, as an example of how opportunistic he was when he was told that he could get Jews for seven Reichsmarks a day, but the Poles would cost more, he said, then why on earth would I hire Poles? Um, his accountant also pointed out that the seven marks went straight to the SS and that the uh, workers were essentially slaves. You see some of his uh, personal life at this point in the movie. He's an amoral opportunist and womanizer. Um, eventually, over time, he shifted to protect the Jews by bribing uh, corrupt German officials. And the foil here is Eamon Geth, a, uh, an SS officer, it's never really clear if he's a true Nazi believer or just a, a sadist. But in 1943, he liquidated the Krakow ghetto, uh, moving able-bodied people to concentration camp and murdering the rest. He took huge bribes from Schindler, first for moving workers to a sub-camp in the factory, and then for moving them out of Poland to Czechoslovakia when they were going to be sent to Auschwitz. By this point, Schindler has turned... Um, and is devoted to saving as many Jews as possible and essentially spends his entire ill-gotten fortune uh, on bribes in order to permit the Jews to live. He managed to convince the SS not to post guards inside the factory, and he even permitted the workers to uh, have Sabbath services in, in the factory. As the war ends, uh, Schindler's forced to flee because the, from the Soviets because he's a Nazi party member and a war profiteer, and he breaks down thinking that he didn't do enough to save as many as he could. The workers give him a letter of commendation and a ring um, with a Talmudic inscription on it to help him get away, which he eventually does. Um, his subsequent life was a failure, you find out in the afterwards, that uh, he failed at numerous businesses, and his marriage failed as well. Um, so, a lot of the, it was filmed in black and white, and you see a lot of scenes of just wanton brutality and murder on the part of the Nazis. Um, one of the things I thought was there, there is a, a scene where there's a, a little girl whose dress is red, which I thought was interesting cinematically because. Uh, that's supposed to represent the turning point for Schindler uh, when when he sees her body on a on a stack, but um, I, I, you know, that's cinema for you. I thought the choice of black and white was interesting. It made it look more historical because so much of the footage we see um, from that period is in black and white. But I'm not sure it didn't help distance you from some of the events. What did you think about that, Tom? 
That's that's interesting because I remember seeing this when it came out and rewatching it in preparation for this podcast. Uh, I found it almost gut wrenching, and for me, um, black and white always adds a, le- a level of discomfort, terror, uh, unease, probably because of my love of the '30s classic horror movies by Universal. I associate with black and white and also <laughs> film noir. Um, but I thought it, it really, for me, added a level of, of uh, that's an interesting observation by uh, distancing you by having black and white. For me, it always adds a level of unease. And um, um, I felt uneasy throughout this movie. Well, it does make it feel more documentary. It does. And, and actually, Spielberg, I think, said he, he decided to shoot it in a documentary style. And after he made that decision, one of the kind of follow-on decisions, almost logically, was to shoot it in black and white uh, for that reason, to almost to make it that way. And and I think as a, for, as a cinematic choice, it certainly worked for me, although it may do, be due to my own eccentricity. Um, the other thing that you, you touched on this a little bit uh, in your uh, discussion of the SS officer played by Ray Fiennes, Hammond Goeth, um, I vacillated between an incarnation of pure evil and Hannah Arendt's The Banality of Evil. Um, Because when I sit back and dispassionately study uh, the Holocaust and the Nazi regime, it just seems to me it's exactly what she said. Just a bunch of bureaucrats uh, executing a corporate strategy. And then then when you see it and you hear... Um, I mean, people being shot for no reason, good reason, no reason, bad reason, any reason, um, just around the campgrounds, basically. Um, I'm not quite sure you can have much more evil than that. And certainly the clearing of the ghettos and all that entailed, uh, as well as the treatment of Jews throughout the movie. So um, I'm still torn between the uh, really the devil incarnate evil or just the banality of evil, which in many ways goth was both. Uh, although I, I saw him as, as more, much more probably the incarnate of, of just sadism and, and evilness. But um, I think that there's an argument argument that can be made is he's just a middle manager executing the corporate orders. Well, and he's a corrupt one too, because he's willing to subvert those orders in exchange for huge sums of cash which I don't know if that makes him more or less evil. But uh, I thought he was a, he was a very powerful um, foil for the Schindler character, who's, who's continued, who is treated generally ambiguously until the very end. If you haven't seen the movie in a while, I, I highly recommend it. I found it uh, very disturbing. We're seeing, we're seeing instances of anti-Semitism rise again, and I think it may just be that the distance in time from the Holocaust is enabling people to see it as a, uh, a one-time event rather than something that people are capable of. And on that cheery note. So, Richard, I did see some – actually, I did see some uh, some leadership lessons that perhaps we could uh, discuss uh, even in the context of a modern business. And I thought Schindler really um, showed several different types of leaderships that really apply uh, today – um, maybe the this is not a leadership lesson, but I think it's something we needed we need to keep in mind, which is uh, our heroes are not always perfect. And I was reminded of uh, the play 
uh, that was on Broadway um, uh, all the way with LBJ. And it was about the passage of the Civil Rights Act. And uh, it was a wonderful performance by Brian Cranston as LBJ. But LBJ was a complete SOB. And to the point where it's where at one night he gets so frustrated, he curses out Lady Bird. And LBJ has always been one of my heroes. And it's it's kind of disconcerting when the, you see your hero is really, in many ways, not a hero. And it's just a human, just a man. And um, it's difficult to, to see that sometimes. But perhaps we, sh- we need to be more cognizant of that. Uh, number two is that, uh, and, I, and I, I learned this from... Uh, or heard this most recently in my podcast series on 9-11. And I interviewed uh, someone who had been a junior in college in ROTC on on 9-11. And he said that night he knew he was going to war. And later in the podcast, I asked him what was the biggest lesson he took away from his in-country service in wartime in Iraq. And he said, make a decision. Maybe the wrong decision. If you're trapped, do something. Uh, don't sit there. Don't don't wait for the best decision. Do something. You know, always correct it later. You can make another decision. And that really um, kind of struck me about Schindler is that he took action. And it may have been a small step. It may have been a thousand people he saved or <clears throat> twelve hundred people, but uh, to actually do something. And then the the other thing that I want to maybe use to introduce some ethical lessons after we talk about some of these leadership lessons are. All of us, I think, our strengths and weaknesses are really mirror images of themselves. And so, and for Schindler, it was his weakness as a businessman which led him to see this business opportunity in Poland uh, with slave labor and uh, having a basically a government con- no bid contract on, based on slave labor. And um, he had the moral flexibility to bribe, cheat, and steal to get uh, to his goal. And that, uh, um, so in many ways, his moral ambiguity or his flexibility led him to actually doing something that was very, very positive. So um, uh, before we get to maybe any ethical lessons, any thoughts on any of those points from you? Yeah, and I think one of the other things is that he was generally fairly self-aware. Um, he recognized that he had no skill at all in raising money, no skill at all in operating a business. And so he uh, basically subcontracted the first to his accountant and subcontracted the second to some of the Jews who actually had some experience um, to work for him. And he said that all he was good at was presentation. Um, which he was. He was an, he was an excellent salesman. Uh, he was excellent at maintaining cordial relationships with the Nazi leadership and and getting the contracts. Um, so I, I think that was also interesting. He was aware of his his strengths and weaknesses, and uh, and sought to um, parlay his weakness or to eliminate his weakness through sub subcontracting. Um, but to focus on what he could do well. And as for not always being perfect. The, you pointed out, I think correctly, the girl in the red dress and then the cinematic version that was supposed to be one of the key turning points for his internal conflict, realizing that uh, the invidiousness and the evil of the system that he was now a part of. And um, I don't know 
it's hard to tell from the movie and even reading what I could about Schindler, his own evolution. Um, you know, typically you don't wake up one day and say, oh, I'm in an evil system. It's a series of steps to get you there. <clears throat> and I know they had to to make a turn, a dramatic turning point in the movie, and that's the girl in the red dress, I think, or red coat, I should say. Uh, but he he did have an internal conflict. Um, the the business he chose, uh, it, I thought initially he saw no conflict with his own humanity in employing slave labor to sell to uh, an occupying army. Um, although the other point, and I'm not quite sure how this works in, but I think it's it's something that should be at least acknowledged is he was Czech. He was not German. He was not Polish. He was Czech. And he, he did join the Nazi party uh, in 1939. He must have been a Sudetenland German, um, but he was uh, uh, his home domicile up until at least the invasion of the Sudetenland was Czechoslovakia. Um, and so there was a, some type of distance there. Then, as you also correctly noted, he used a very corrupt means to achieve his goals. He basically bribed the Nazis. And it made me wonder how ubiquitous that conduct was by the, the occupying army. Uh, um, I think we both read novels or, or books that maybe touched on that in the background, but uh, no, nowhere else did I see that as um, uh, as straightforward as we saw it uh, in the movie version of Schindler's List. Any, any of your thoughts on any of those ethical imbroglios? We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with more on leadership lessons from the movie Schindler's List. You know, from what I've read, the, the Nazi regime was essentially largely kleptocratic. Um, the um, I think there were there was constant uh, log rolling, if not outright cash exchanges with uh, the, the Nazi leaders in exchange for obtaining some of these contracts. Um, now I'm not sure how different that is from anywhere else. Um, it's just the, the evil of Nazism and their, the evil of their goals makes it appear um, so outstanding. But um, and the now again, the, the one of the things that makes this such a powerful movie is is the internal conflict of Schindler and the uh, the gradual growth and shift and his inability to uh, continue supporting a system that resulted in the mass murder of people. Um, how he could have not noticed that until he saw a girl in a red coat, I don't know. And then maybe next, Richard, I'd like to explore, and I'd like to specifically call out an article by Keith Carpenter that we're going to link to in our show notes, which call, which was entitled Oscar Schindler, A Sheep in Wolf's Clothing. And um, it was an interesting article about the leadership style, but what struck me the most was that uh, he tied it to a book that came out in, I believe, 1977, uh, which is now a classic by Robert Greenleaf entitled Servant Leadership. And he identified many of the characteristics of uh, Schindler uh, in the context of servant leadership. 
And I thought this really had some, this article really distilled some important leadership lessons for today that maybe I'd like to spend a few minutes uh, talking through and then get your comments on, on uh, some of these as well. A servant leader, um, uh, your servant leadership is servant first, not a leader first. And you try to be a servant to those who are your stakeholders, your employees, or a wider variety of group so that you can empower them to really do the best they can. I know that's a very oversimplification, but uh, many of Schindler's actions from things like allowing uh, the Jewish workers to celebrate uh, um, the Sabbath or other religious events, to food, to the simple, uh, something as simple as taking a shower, I think actually made them, um, uh, if not better workers, certainly uh, in, increase their um, ability to live as humans. Uh, acceptance and empathy is that you empathize with uh, your stakeholders and employees or whoever the group may be, but you also recognize uh, what you pointed out, Richard, which is uh, your own shortcomings, but also that there are going to be um, uh, some per- some persons or some person's efforts that are really not good enough. And here, I think this uh, led to it, uh, Schindler having a, a, a pretty fair understanding of Ammon Goth, uh, uh, Ray Fine's character uh, as well, and allowed him to really find out what he wanted, and which was just greed, money. And then he, he did flatter him, so he was, I think, good at that. But then the next point, Richard, was awareness. And um, this is beyond simply self-awareness. This was actually... Uh, business skill and business intelligence. And they, he used the example of uh, um, Schindler got caught off guard when they shut down his Polish work camp um, and they were going to ship everyone uh, to Auschwitz. And he got caught off guard by that and he had to sort of scramble to save his workforce and save those he could. Uh, and he vowed never to be without that kind of intelligence again, whether he got it by hook, crook, bribery, or other means. And I think that's a really important lesson, which is to have information. And and throughout this podcast series, I think we've had a few key themes. And as a business leader, information has to be right up there uh, at the top uh, to allow you to have the most information to make a decision. Um, And then the the final point was in servant leadership uh, by Greenleaf was was healing. And that certainly um, was, uh, I think, a key byproduct of the way Schindler led. And what he did is he allowed the the people under him to to heal as much as they could in just uh, horrific circumstances. Um, You know, I don't know if that's a fitting a, a very square puzzle in a circular hole that Robert Greenleaf, uh, diagram for us in servant leadership, but there's some, I think, important leadership traits in those points that the business leader of today can take away and use going forward. Richard, anything in uh, the servant leadership or that article that uh, struck you is also applicable in uh, circa 2022? Well, the first thing that struck me is it's it sounds like a book I should have read at some point. <laughs> 
but uh, I'll try to remedy that. Um, I thought that it was a bit of a stretch to to jam him into the servant leadership role, um, just because of his um, his constant goal. Well, it wasn't his constant goal, but his initial goal of getting rich. He certainly wasn't a servant leader. Maybe he morphed into one. Um, and certainly some of the examples uh, in the article um, indicate that. And as you pointed out, his humane treatment of the workers in the factory could also be certainly fit the acceptance and empathy and awareness categories. Um, but you know, the leadership style, it's very easy to contrast. Uh, Eamon Geth's uh, uh, totally top-down uh, style with Schindler's more collaborationist, especially with the Ben Kingsley, Ben Kingsley character of his accountant. Um, and they seem to have developed a pretty decent relationship too. Um, but yeah, I thought it was, it's very interesting to consider him, uh, from in the context of a leader, um, and, and what his style was. So, um, I think the, I think the Greenleaf, um, was a very interesting article and I highly recommend it. Um, so what are your final thoughts, Tom? Well, uh, really, I guess uh, I'll circle back to something I started with. Uh, was it just the incarnation of evil or is it the banality of evil? And uh, if I can maybe contrast or, or explore that question a little bit through a discussion of the documentary Shoah. And um, Shoah came out, I can't remember, 80s, maybe early 90s. I think we saw maybe one part of it together, but uh, it was a, a nine hour documentary on the Holocaust. But what struck me was, was exactly what I've said throughout this, the banality of it all. And um, one of the key scenes in show uh, from part one was uh, the train driver, a Polish train driver who drove the train to Ostrich. And you, you saw how so many working parts had to exist to make the whole system work, literally down to a train driver to drive uh, people to Auschwitz to be executed. And all the way up, you know, to the top, whether it was Heydrich or um, any of the other uh, prominent Nazi leaders who were part of the final solution, it all seemed to be just kind of another day at the office. And so I've struggled with that, obviously, for quite a long time uh, in my life, and I still don't know the answer to it, um, as with many things, probably a little bit of both. Um, but it was an important movie. I'm glad Spielberg, Spielberg did it. I think it did a lot for him personally. I think it did a lot um, for kind of a re-exploration um, uh, of the Holocaust at that point in time, 93, when the movie came out. Uh, as you said now, maybe we're, we're, we're due for another one of those. Um, can't even teach about the Holocaust in, in high school now. Um, maybe it's time to, to have another uh, similar movie. But uh, in terms of a cinematic event, it was fabulous. It was well-deserved for Oscar consideration and numerous Oscars that it won. Uh, about any closing thoughts from yourself, Richard? Well, I totally agree with that. And the, um, you know, the phrase banality of evil has almost become 
uh, cliched in itself, but the scene I remember most from Shoah was an interview with the engineer who designed the crematoria. And uh, you could tell he was still excited at the difficult challenge of burning that many wet bodies that fast and that he had he had managed to uh, overcome that challenge in order to design the crematorium and totally totally able to isolate that from what the what was going on um i, I just thought it was remarkable the compartmentalization that uh, some people were able to um, to accomplish and then to continue it for decades um I thought the movie was outstanding. Um, as I said, I, I, I sort of wrestled with the, the black and white distinction, especially when he used the, the, uh, the girl in the red coat to sort of um, emphasize the, the black and whiteness. Um, but he's a better filmmaker than I am. So, um, and certainly with the power of the film, I think it, it was a very good choice. So... Um, if you haven't seen it in a while, recommend you see it. Um, I, I also recommend the articles. Um, well, on that note, uh, that's it for this episode of 12 O'Clock High with Tom Fox and Richard Lummis. And we hope you'll join us again for further continuation of our Best Picture series and for our other podcasts on leadership. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership where we focused on Schindler's List. As Richard mentioned, we linked to several of the resources we reviewed in preparing for this podcast in addition to watching the movie. Over the next four weeks, we're going to take up four or three additional best-winning Oscar pictures, including Gladiator, Platoon, and A Man for All Seasons. I hope you will check out each of these over the next three consecutive weeks as we continue our annual exploration of leadership lessons from Oscar-winning Best Picture movies on 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership. This podcast is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.